Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to learn something today. Dude, just turn to him and say, I'm going to learn something today. Amen. Let me also add my welcome to those that are joining us via live streaming. And uh, we never want to ignore those that join us uh, around the globe in that manner. This morning, I want to share with you on the subject of God's wisdom for big problems. Does anybody here ever have big problems? Anybody ever? Little problems? Medium-sized problems? I think we're all alike. We all, life is simply a life that you're going to have adversity, challenges, and problems. The key is to learn how to get a hold of God's wisdom to address those issues of life. So this morning, I'd like to use a story from the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, you'd like to turn there, you may. I also have the text on the screen in just a moment that I'll share with you. This is a story taken from Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 26. It's a story about the life of Moses, an incident that took place as he was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, and he met a challenge. He met a problem. By the way, uh, Moses uh, and the children of Israel met numerous challenges in the wilderness, didn't they? This just happens to be one day in the life of Moses. But I think there's some wonderful lessons and wisdom that you and I can glean from this particular story. So let's look at it together, and then we'll learn the principles. Starting in verse 13, And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Verse 15, Moses answered him and said, well, that's just what I do. I mean, that's what, that's what I do. Because people, the people come. They come to me. They're seeking wisdom, seeking God's will. And whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. And I decide between the parties, and I inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law, by the way, what was his name? Jethro, yeah. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, replied and said, Listen, what you are doing is not good. That's pretty direct, isn't it? What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I'm going to give you some advice. And may God be with you. The Scripture goes on and proceeds through the rest of this text in verse 26, where Moses is taking the wisdom that came through his father-in-law. By the way, did you just notice the fact that there was a miracle that took place? Someone actually listened to advice from their father-in-law. Did you notice that miracle there? Just didn't want to pass over that too quickly. So he listened to the wisdom from his father-in-law about how to solve a problem. I'm not sure how aware Moses was really of the problem he was having. But he listened to God's wisdom through his father-in-law on how to address the issues that were before him in that day. Now, here's what I'd like to do. How I want to break this narrative down is in like a drama, like a, like a theatrical show. I want to break it down into scenes, all right? So we're going to take scene one, scene two, and so on. So the first scene is this. Moses 
encounters a crisis. He encounters a crisis. First of all, let's just ask, what kind of crisis was this? This was a, this was a people crisis. This was a leadership crisis. This was an organizational crisis. We have to remember, there are one to two million people that are a part of this group of people that are following Moses. Moses is God's appointed, anointed leader, and they're camping out from place to place. They're looking to Moses as their representative before God. So Pastor Moses has got a big job on his hands, all right? CEO, he's pastor, he's shepherding these children of Israel, and he's got a problem. His crisis is simply this. There's a couple of different crises he's he's facing, but the first problem I like to point out is he was facing an overload problem. Does anybody know what an overload problem is? It's when you have uh, more appointments than you have time in the day to meet them, all right? You have more tasks on your list than you've got time to deal with. Overload was taking place with Moses, and Jethro observed it. How many of you know sometimes it takes a third party to see what's going on in our life and to speak a word of wisdom into us? And so thank God Moses had ears to listen to his father-in-law, and his father-in-law just went to work with him one day. He went to work with him, and he just observed. And he just noticed that people were lined out, hundreds and thousands of people in a queue, outside of Moses' tent, waiting to speak to Moses. And he would deal with them one by one. What's the issue? What's going on with your marriage? What dispute? Y'all have an argument. How do we settle this? He was trying to share with them God's word and principles, and one by one he would deal with them. Guess what? By the end of the day, from early morning until late at evening, what was happening? They were still lined up. He never got to all of them, and he'd have to go home, And there's a whole bunch of people lined up there still at the end of the day. May I suggest to you that there's two types of problems that he was facing? The first was an overload problem that overflowed into his household. Now, I have a theory about this story, and I think I actually have some pretty good support for believing it. I'm convinced that Moses and his wife were having major marital issues. I I am. This is why the father-in-law made a visit. He brought Zipporah, Moses' wife, back to him. I actually think there could have been a separation going on. Can you, would that surprise you any to think that maybe there were marital problems that were being created? Why did they have marital problems? Because he was always at work. He wasn't giving priority of time to his marriage and to his family. I imagine they had family problems. I imagine the kids were acting up. And his wife was saying, I've had it up to here. Honey, how many times have I tried to tell you you're working too much? Something is wrong. You are on the point of exhaustion. You're at burnout. And you've got to do something about this. And Moses was just like, this is what I do. I just do this is what I do every day. I do the same thing. I just go to work. I do my job. People are looking to me. They're expecting me to do this. That was Moses' response. So he's got an overload problem. But he also had another crisis, a people problem. What was the people problem? Notice the comment that Jethro made about the people. He said, this not only is not good for you personally, he said, it's also not good for who? The people who were standing in line. The Israelites were standing in line because why? They had a need. They had things going on in their life, and they needed some 
feedback. They needed some oversight. They needed some godly wisdom and counsel. And they were frustrated. I guarantee you, when, when, when Jethro says, this is going to wear you out, and it's going to wear the people out, both sides are going to suffer from this. So not only was Moses suffering, the people were suffering. They were dissatisfied. They were standing in line. Can you hear them now? About 100 yards down the line, they were saying, man, do you think we're ever going to get a chance to see Moses? I don't know. It's probably not going to happen today. Maybe in a couple of weeks we'll get in line. We'll be able to talk to Moses. People were grumbling. They were upset. Why? Their needs were not being met. In addition to that, I suggest to you that there was a problem in that they had an unhealthy reliance on one person. They had an unhealthy reliance upon Moses. He was the man of God. And the only one that can help me is the man of God. He is the anointed one from God to speak into my life, to give me a word, to show me something uh, from the law. And, of course, we know that that was unhealthy. So this is Moses encountering a crisis, and this is the first scene I want you to focus on. Let's look at scene number two. So we go from the first scene, which explains the crisis that Moses is encountering, and then Moses receives some very timely, godly, wise input from his father-in-law, Jethro. Notice two things. First of all, he asked some wise questions. Second of all, he gave some wise counsel. Let's look at his questions. The first question he asked, which I just think is brilliant, first question he has, by the way, all consultants, this is a good way to start with if you're doing some consulting. He simply asked the question, Moses, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Explain to me what you're doing. Sometimes we just don't realize what we're doing and why we're doing it. We get in habits, we get in routines, and Moses had to explain himself to his father-in-law. This is what's going on. This is why I do it. It's my job. And then he asked another question. He said, why are you doing this alone? It's almost like Moses had never considered the fact that he didn't have to do everything alone. And he pointed out to him the dangers of doing all the work alone. He gave him wise counsel, and he said this. Number one, this isn't going to work. This isn't sustainable. It's not working now, and it's not going to work in the future. And how many of you know the definition of insanity? Yeah. So if you're not going to continue in insanity, what do you have to do? You have to change something, right? You've got to change the way you do business. Change the way you're living your life. You've got to do something different. And he said, this isn't good for you. He said, the consequences are evident. You may not see it. You may be blinded. and You can't see the forest for the trees. But I can see it as an outsider. You're wearing yourself out, and you're going to wear the people out. This isn't good. And his final word of advice was what? Change something. Now, by the way, do you realize as people, there's something in us that naturally resists change? It's true in people. It's true in organizations. There is an, always an internal resistance, inertia against change and innovation. But change is exactly what Moses need to do, needed to do. Now, maybe you're in a situation in your life and maybe God is wanting to offer you some wisdom today to look at it from another perspective, 
to look at it from another set of eyes. And if you happen to be in some kind of a rut, you're stuck in some way in your life. How many of y'all know we get stuck from time to time? You're stuck in some place in your life, whether it be in personal habits or whether it simply be that you maybe just haven't developed the right disciplines of devotion and prayer and time in the Word and fellowship. You're stuck. To get unstuck, you have to change. A brilliant sociologist and psychologist years ago came up with this amazing revelation. His name was Kurt Lewin. It's not important. He came up with this revelation about change. He said for a group of people to change, he compared it to ice or something that was frozen. You know, you put a roast in the freezer, you know, all right, we're... We don't need that roast this week, but in a couple of weeks, maybe we'll use that roast. What's the first thing you do with the roast to use it? Got to thaw it out, right? Don't try to eat that frozen roast. You got to thaw it out. He said the first step to change is you thaw it out. Then he said you make whatever changes you're going to. And then after you make the change and adjustments after it's thawed out, then you freeze it back. The sociological phenomena that he observe. It has a lot of truth, doesn't it? We have to be willing to let God thaw us out, and frequently he uses the wisdom of other people to help us do that. Sometimes we see something in the Bible about our big problem. We've never looked at it that way. I think perspective is one of the keys to addressing the issues of life, and many of us just need an extra measure of wisdom and perspective. One grain of wisdom could change the next years of your life if you're ready to seek God for it, to ask for it, and to recognize it when it comes your way. You know, one thing I'm impressed with is Moses' willingness to receive this counsel. Can we look at that? It gives me great respect for Moses. This is scene three. Scene one was what? He encountered a crisis. Scene two is what? He receives some timely, wise advice from Jethro. Scene three is what? Now we notice in the story, and I didn't read this text today, but you can read it as you continue on in that chapter, we see that Moses immediately, it's almost like there's no delay. Moses took exactly what Jethro, his father-in-law, said, and he began to act on it. What did he do? These are the things that he did. If you go back and break down the, the scriptures, these are the steps that he took. Number one, he selected reliable leaders. What was the message? You can't do this alone. What was the answer? First step, select some reliable leaders who fear God, who, who have integrity. They, they're not doing it for the wrong motives. They don't, they're not dishonest in their ethics. You can trust them. They're trustworthy people. You take them, you select those leaders, then secondly, you train them. You simply train them to do what you've been doing. So you're going to train them in the principles of the law. You're going to train them on how to reconcile two people that are arguing. You're going to train them on how to show care and concern and love for those people that are under their oversight. You're not to train people. You can't expect someone to do a job unless you get proper training. Am I, am I right? Number three, he organized the leaders. So he selects all these leaders. By the way, there are hundreds and thousands of leaders 
that were, this is a large group of people, and I'll jump to the end of my slide there. I actually calculated one day how many leaders were released into business, into function on that particular reorganization. 78,600 plus. That's a lot of leaders to mobilize overnight, isn't it? 78,600, but that's how many that he needed in order to get coverage for all the children of Israel. It's an amazing feat. This is an organizational phenomenon in this story. So he organized them. How did he, set, how did he organize them? The first thing he did is he made sure that he delegated authority. How many of you ever heard the word delegate or stagnate? Anybody ever heard that? It is very, very true. He delegated authority. I must add that whenever we delegate authority, if we possess some authority and we delegate it to someone, never delegate authority unless you're willing to delegate responsibility with it. Responsibility and authority must go hand in hand. So what he did is he delegated authority as he, as he organized these leaders. He set up a structure, and he set it up for accountability with a chain of command. And he said this, they're leaders of, they're leaders of tens, they're leaders of fifties, they're leaders of a hundred, they're leaders of, a, of thousands, and he had these different levels of authority. So if you look at the ratio, he actually set it up where instead of it being one to, let's just say it was one and a half million people, right? So the ratio at the beginning of the story is one to one and a half million. Okay? One to one and a half million. No wonder people were standing in line all day long. Because the likelihood of someone having an issue that you needed to have dealt with and needed counsel and help with was pretty high among one and a half people, million people. So what did he need to do? He set up a system. How many of y'all know God's organized? Did y'all know that God is organized? Look at his creation. You see his order. He organized things. They were reorganizing the way that they simply did business as a people. And he set up this system where there was one, no longer one to one and a half million, now is one to ten. For every ten people, there was one leader, one caregiver to every 10 people. And then the care leaders of those, those caregivers of those who had responsibility over 10s then had someone that they reported to and their span of care and control was very narrow as well. And eventually, if a matter really got difficult, who handled it? It kept getting passed up passed up, passed up the chain, and eventually Moses would have to settle it and deal with it, wouldn't he? So not only did he reorganize the whole way that they lived, operated, he reorganized it, set up this new system of accountability and this chain of command, and then he delegated authority and responsibility to them. It's quite a, a feat that took place through Moses, all from hearing wisdom on how to do things differently. Let's look at this little cartoon that I thought you might find interesting. Uh, the queen says to the king, Honey, you have to delegate some authority sometime. Yeah, and uh, so, so very true. All right, let's, let's look also in this scene three as we continue what takes place. As he was doing these, following this wisdom and reorganizing things, getting the right leaders, getting them organized, 
I want you to notice that there was an important shift. There was a shift in the way that Moses had to think and a shift in the way Moses had to act. I find that any time God's interested in bringing about significant change in our lives or growth in our lives, it usually involves changing the way we think about something and changing the way we act and do our work. And if both of those things don't happen, there's usually no significant change. How many of you have realized that? Huh? You change the way you think about it, and then you change the way you act. When Carrie and I got married 42 years ago, she had to work for years to get me to change the way I thought about certain things. And then when she got me trained that way, then she trains the way, cha- trained me in the way that I did some things. And uh, still some things she's working on, but for the most part, I did pretty good. All right. So Moses had to shift his attention. He had to shift the way he did business, change the way he thought about his job. Every, every, think about this. Every time he went to work, he was used to what? Getting there early, going home late, being overworked, having thousands of people standing in line to do business every day. And now all of a sudden, what? It's different. I like to say it this way. God gave Moses a new job description. You can read it actually in the verses that are following that I, that I read to you. And it says, it begins to list for you what Moses was to do. So Jethro says, here's what you need to do. And I listed it right here for you. These are, this was his new job description. Number one, Moses, you still have to pray. You haven't had any time to be praying up to now because you've been too busy counseling. But you need to pray. Seek God. Represent the people's needs before God. Number one, you're to be praying. Number two, you're responsible to teach the word. Listen, there are certain things you can never delegate all the way, give totally away. Moses was never supposed to totally give away his gift of teaching and instructing the people God's commands and God's laws. He said, number one, pray. Number two, teach the word. Number three, recruit and train new leaders. Recruit and train new leaders. I tell pastors today as I work with pastors, I tell them that 50 to 60% of their job should be engaged in leadership development at all times. And a lot of them look at me and shake their head and say, I don't see how I can do that. I'm so busy doing this, 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 this. We have to change the way we work. He recruited and he trained leaders. And then it says, and you continue, Jethro said, to set a godly example. Live an example. Live a model life. Do the best you can to live in such a way that people look at you and say, I need to follow that example. How many of you know that children learn best when mom and dad set a godly example at home? That's the best way they learn, right? And if we don't set the right example, how many of you discovered before, if you lose your temper, guess what? The kids notice that. Next thing you know what? They're losing their temper. Am I right? Why? They follow an example. It was the same for Moses. He had to set a godly example. And then finally, the last part of his new job description was, if there's an issue that can't get resolved at the 1 to 10 or the levels of 50 or hundreds, then eventually it simply gets passed up the ladder, up the chain, and you'll have to deal with it. I imagine, we have no numbers to satisfy this in Scripture, but I imagine that reduced his counseling load mega, mega reduction. There had to be just a fraction of the number of issues he had to address and resolve every day compared to what he originally had. Isn't this amazing? The change that he made 
and how he was willing to receive God's wisdom to make a difference in his life. I wonder today if maybe God is speaking to you about things that need to change in your life. Problems that maybe he wants to adjust in your life and the wisdom you may need to do it. May I just give you the last scene, scene four? This is the final scene of the narrative, and that's where I simply call it Moses was experiencing positive results. When we do things God's way, we get God's results. It's simple but powerful. Do things the Bible way and get God's results. Live your marriage your way or the way that culture would dictate, and you're going to get some pretty desperate results. Train and raise your children the way that culture would dictate, and you're going to have some problems. You do it the way the Bible says, and you're going to find good results. It's true about every area of life. So Moses actually followed the advice, and I think it's always helpful to see, did it work? Was this a fruitful adjustment or not? Sometimes we make a change, and it doesn't work. We have to go back to the drawing board, right? We go back to to the beginning point and say, wait a minute, I think maybe I made a wrong decision. I need to rethink this. So in this particular case, what happened? There were three levels of changes and positive results that happened in this story. Number one was for himself. Help me for a moment. Play like we're just in a classroom setting and interact with me, all right? What kind of positive results do you think Moses on a personal level experienced from this significant change? Less stress for him? A better improved marriage? How many of you know mama was saying, yes! He finally listened to daddy. (laughs) Right? Someone else? Other results for Moses himself? A better relationship with his children? Absolutely. Had to be the case because he had more time to spend with him. Right? Someone else? A renewed stamina? Better health? Yeah. Who knows what shape he was in? All of a sudden, I I like to put it this way, he balanced his life. Life began to find a new kind of balance. How many of you could stand a little balance in your life this morning, huh? Number one, it had positive results for Moses himself. Number two, there were positive results for the new leaders. 78,600 new leaders. Could you tell me what kind of positive results you think took place for them? I'm sorry? They had some personal fulfillment. Why? They now had ownership. They were involved. They weren't just one of the spectators. Now they had ownership of the vision of caring for the whole nation of Israel. Someone else? What other positive results for the leaders? Personal growth they developed. Someone else? Yes, they found, discovered, wow, I never knew that I had those abilities. Now I've learned some new skills. I've tapped into something new and fresh in my life. This is great. I think those 78,000 were delighted. May I just also point out that they did it, he organized this in a way to where no one was overloaded. The spread of responsibility was so flat that no one had to do mega work again, but now it was divided up in such a way that it was manageable. So when it's manageable, when you get assigned a job, you're responsible to do something, and it's manageable, you can do it. How many say, you know, that feels good. That feels good. I can do that. Praise God. 
I think it had great benefit for them. Finally, how did the Israelites, the people, the masses, the multitudes, how did they result, uh, experience some positive result? They had their needs met. They didn't have to wait in line all day, wasting time. Someone else? They had improved relationships. Someone else? They were being more productive. They had more time to do the important things, go out there and plant and harvest their fields or whatever it may have been. Less reasons to complain. They still complained, though. They still did. They just, you know, they didn't seem to. They, yeah, they had a problem there, didn't they? You know, I, I think they probably like it just had this ripple effect upon the whole congregation of Israel when everybody realized, wow, I just think about it. I've, if I have a crisis, it may be rare that I have one, but when I have one, I know I've got someone that is touchable. I have access and a relationship. If you're responsible for 10 people, you can have a relationship with them. You see what I'm saying? That's touchable. That's accessible. And it must have brought great relief and comfort to all of the members of the Israelite community. This, these are the positive results that came as a result of receiving God's wisdom to simply make a change that addressed a big, big problem. Now, can I close with just some personal applications? I think we always need to apply God's word, not just learn and knowledge sake. But, but I've oftentimes read this story and thought to myself, this is a question I've asked myself, well, why? We call this, by the way, we call this the Jethro Principle. The Jethro Principle. The principle that was behind his actions, all right? Which was basically a principle of what? Empowerment. Delegation, sharing the load, reorganization, that's the Jethro principle. And I've oftentimes asked me, this story is so blatantly clear. Why is this principle not being exercised in business or in education or in the church more frequently than it is? One of the common problems, particularly in small businesses that you have, is there's not enough delegation and empowerment. Frequently, the problem we have in churches is that one person is responsible for all the people, and everybody thinks the only way that they can get a healing is to go to the man of God. (laughs) Why are there such barriers to implementing this principle today? Can I make a couple of suggestions? One, I think there's some fear. Fear of doing things differently. Two, there's a resistance to change that I think we all face and deal with three i think sometimes leaders get insecure and are not prepared to share their responsibility with others when actually it would help them immensely so i think there's all different kinds of reasons i just thought it would be helpful also just to apply this even to our own church situation i recognize that the principle of jethro that i'm sharing today is applicable some of you i hope you'll take this and apply it to your workplace I hope some of you will take this and apply it to different settings and contexts in your life. Did you know it's also applicable in a church? And I am very attentive to this principle and have known it and taught it and and tried to help encourage it in churches for many, many years. So I I thought maybe it was a great opportunity for me just to share something with you that we're doing here at Riverbend Church. 
Uh, It's our belief that those that are members of our church deserve quality, excellent shepherding and care, support and love for their lives and particularly their spiritual spiritual development. But the principles show this, statistics show this, that if a church is relied upon simply one autocratic solo leader, that likely the church will never grow more than 100 people. That's statistically proven. Why? Why do you think it wouldn't? Why would it stunt at 100? There's no way that that one person has the ability to effectively touch, have access to more than that. There's simply a point of no return there, right? So I'm surprised people can do it with 100. But that's, that's what the statistics show. So at some point, if you're to go over those growth barriers and receive more of the harvest that God has for you, you have to be prepared to follow this Jethro principle. As a church, we're very serious about this, and we have through what we call our care ministry, which is, uh, stands for caring and reaching everyone. Through our care ministry, which Pastor Dave Evans oversees, which includes benevolence and crisis care and bereavement and a lot of things, we have a a new initiative where it is our goal within the next six months to assign every person who is a covenant member of Riverbend Church will be assigned someone that has a small ratio of care responsibility to where they can simply be the person that's their first contact if they have a crisis, first person they call for prayer, first person that they can reach out to, and it's reciprocal. Both sides will reach out to one another. I think it's a great way, and right now we, we, we're, we're probably 40% towards the completion where we need simply have more of those, we're calling them touch leaders. A touch leader will have responsibility for four to six families or units in our church. And we're simply going to be growing and multiplying that number. Our goal is by the middle of 2018, we'll have every single person who are members of Riverbend have knowledge and they'll have some connection with someone that is there to care for them. You know, it gravely concerns me in my years of shepherding people when people fall through the cracks. And it's easy if you're just a big group of people, it's easy for people to fall through the cracks. This is a great way to make sure by applying the Jethro principle that people don't fall through the cracks. So I think that this principle can be applied in so many different ways. I would ask that you be patient with us, and here over the next month or so, you'll probably uh, begin to get communications from our care ministry to let you know uh, we, have, we have assigned this person with you or you to this person, and we'll, we'll work on that real hard. But uh, I, I want you to know that it's our heartbeat that, that I never wanted you to be in a situation where you're like, I just can't reach Bobby. Uh, I try my best to be accessible but, uh, and to learn names, but I found that the more people that come, I'm like, man, I'm not doing too good anymore. I, I really need to work on those names. But uh, that, that, that is solved when we simply share the load. Yes. When you share the load and you multiply that, that leadership and you train people to all feel a higher level of ownership. How many of you think that kind of principle would work today? Do you think it works today? I believe it's a biblical principle. If it's in the Bible, I believe it's biblical, and I believe it works in so many different contexts. Can you stand with me today as we close in prayer? I want to speak hope and faith to you today. If you're facing a big problem in life, listen to me. God has your answer. 
God has your answer. Whether it's physical, financial, relational, business, personal, it does not matter. Whatever your problem, you say, I, Pastor, you just don't know. My problem's so big, I, 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 I'm not sure anything can be done about it. Oh, yes. All things are possible with God. Our God is able to intervene, intersect with your point of need. I would encourage you today, would you allow God to do that? As our prayer teams come forward today and are available to pray prayers of faith for you who would like to come forward and say, I've got a big problem, would you agree with me? If you're facing one of those, you need to be coming up here, standing with one of these teams and letting them pray with you today and agree. I'm going to pray for you in general right now, and then Patricia's just going to come and speak a blessing over you as you depart, and please give reverence to those that are coming for ministry today. Father, we're so grateful for the Word of God. Lord, I'm just so thankful that you're a practical God. Um, we We can read in Scripture and see a story like this and glean things that are useful, practical, and pragmatic that make good sense. You're a God that not only has good sense, you have wisdom. Lord, there's some of us today that need wisdom in our life. I pray that we wouldn't just try to do it all ourselves. Father, forgive us for being independent. Forgive us for trying to fly solo. Help us to learn, Lord, that there's strength among others, that there's, uh, that threefold cord is not easily broken. Father, we pray that we'd be recipients of your wisdom today It would push us forward in our own personal and business lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Hallelujah and amen. Again, I want you to come in a moment for prayer if you need it. And Patricia, if you would close us with a blessing. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. You, you, You know, we are so wealthy, you all. If we would just take just what we heard and apply it to our lives, oh, how wealthy and rich the production we would see. But I will say, as I was worshiping all uh, through the day and listening to the word, this is what I heard God say to me. And as Pastor said, we are a house that welcomes the gifts of the Spirit. And we all can do this, but in particular, there is someone who has a great need. And the answer to your great need is in thank you. God wants to hear your voice. He will answer if you call. Sometimes we're saying, give me, Lord, but we're saying it inside. But this answer is in thank you. Now, you may not be as demonstrative as I am with public praise. So if this is not a comfortable place for you in the secret place, your car, your home, wherever you can go, do not allow this day to go by without opening your mouth and saying thank you. He knows what you're saying thank you for. He knows your need. The answer has been provided. He just needs you to say thank you. Well, may the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and add no sorrow be your portion this week. I pray in Jesus' name that he would strengthen us with might by his spirit in our inner man. There is absolutely no lack when we trust in our God. Go in the blessings of the Lord. If you need prayer, please come up front. Don't leave here with a need and walk out that door. The answer is up front in agreement. Amen.